0: All right, who's ready for the love story podcast? Just kidding. It is the birth story podcast, but there's such an incredible love story that shared today as part of our visibility series with Amy, Kate, and Steph. And they walk us through their fertility journey, their love story, all of the intricacies of being a same-sex assigned at birth couple and getting married and being together for 20 years and and then starting a family. And so I hope you learn a lot about their fertility journey, their great birth story, which involves some hypertension slash preeclampsia and an induction and all around really great affirming education on some of the injustices that are going on in the world with same-sex couples. So let's get to it. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Hey guys, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How's it going? Hey, good. hey thank you for having us. I'm really excited to be talking with Amy, Kate, and Steph today, who are a couple that were the same sex assigned at birth, and we are in this visibility series. So this is the third interview in the visibility series, just really talking to the audience, you guys, about the journey of Fertility, the laws in the different states, like the injustices and the inequities of the things that we see in the birth room. And today we're going to get into like your love story and your fertility journey and your birth and then the postpartum period. So thank you for being here. Let's start Absolutely. at the beginning. All right. Who wants to go first? Let's, we just want to hear from you, Amy, Kate. Who are you? Yeah.
1: Okay, um, I am a native New Englander. I'm from New Hampshire. I am the oldest of five kids, raised uh, Southern Baptist evangelical. Whoa, <laughs> now, uh, my 40s. that's a whole podcast. Yeah, it's a good- it's a good, yeah. <laughs> we can unpack that later. Um, yeah. So uh, now I am forty, and um, but now I've we've been in North Carolina for the last two years. We came here for work. Uh, absolutely love Charlotte and the Charlotte area, and I would stay here for a long time if I could. But I'm going to get dragged back to the Arctic, inevitably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Steph, tell us about you. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Massachusetts. I was not raised in a religious household. I was raised raised in a family where my folks said when you were of, of a certain age and you felt and you learned enough about all the various religions and if you like any of them you can pick one and do as as you wish. Um, uh, I'm a creative director. I'm also a musician so my time is often spent hanging out with really cool creative people and trying to kind of heard them all together to make awesome things and put them out into the world for various clients or music and different, um, you know, musical endeavors and whatnot. I'm also 40. I just had my 40th birthday and I think I got some arm pain along with that. Some serious tennis elbow happening as a <laughs> gift from the powers that be that, you know, when you turn old and you instantly get like new aches and pains and gray hairs and things. So, Yeah, that's a a little bit about me.
0: Well, there is this thing that happens right after you have a baby, too. And it's when we hold the babies. We haven't used these. This is like a real thing that parents experience with the the, like uh, the hand and the elbow and the arm and the wrist. Like there's a term for it. And I don't remember what it is. I'll have to Google it before I publish this episode. But this is like a thing. It's like called the new (laughs) parent arm. It's like the new parent arm or the new parent hand.
2: This is the arm in which I hold our child like every second that I'm holding her. So So that could be it.
0: I think it is it. I don't think it's being. I mean, you
2: definitely don't play tennis. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but I'm like on the computer a lot and I play guitar and, you know, so.
0: Very rarely do I interview couples that are the exact same age. Isn't that interesting? Really?
1: Yeah. Yes, i mm. six months younger than me. Yeah, but we're yeah. the same age for six months.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. before we dig backwards, tell us about new parenthood. How old is your child? And you know how? Because I just alluded to the fact that you are holding a baby. Mm. Um, she is what five and a half months now. Yeah, she's yep, she's
1: five and a half months. Yeah. She's uh, she's wild. It's a super super, um, fun age. I'm finding because she's just like starting to have intentional feelings about things, you know, intentional reaction. She's laughing constantly. And her little belly laugh is just the greatest thing in the whole world. So cute! In the last couple of days, she figured out how to support herself when she's sitting up using her arms. So she doesn't just topple over like a weeble. <laughs> she kind of gets the tripod thing going on. It's, it's a blast. The first few months were tough to be
2: honest, but, um, it's just getting more fun every day. Yeah. yeah. The no, first- it's been pretty great. Um, she's so cute and just like i don't know she reacts to us and giggles or cries She notices now when we leave the room oh, and that's been like kind of hard like the a little bit of guilt there from like she sees us i come downstairs because we have a nanny in our house and helping us out and I'll, I'll go get coffee the baby will see me and then start crying and then i have like parental parental (laughs) guilt or whatever. Um, so, but it's so cute. And I love like waking up next to her every morning. It's the the cutest things. Like it's totally like a blessing.
0: I love it. Okay. Well, I have a couple of questions and waking up next to her, are you guys doing co-sleeping?
2: Yep. Little bit. A little bit. Um, she's mostly in the what's that thing called bassinet. She's in a bedside bassinet. Yeah. Oh,
1: but for nice. her last wake up, like in the morning for her very last feeding when she wakes anywhere between like, I don't know, 4 30 and 6, we'll pull her out at that point And she sleeps between us until like seven, just till we till we kind of wake up. So that's yeah. kind of a little special time. Um yeah. So we Steph would have co-slept, I think, full on from the beginning if I would have let her, but I'm like so scared of it. I don't even really sleep when she's between us. I'm just
2: like constantly making sure there's no pillows Mm -hmm. but it's nice yeah yeah until she smacks you in the face which (laughs) she does like she thinks it's funny now and if she wakes up before us she'll just start whacking us in the face
0: wait till she crawls up and tries to like nurse on your nose and you're like
2: wrong
0: Wrong body part girl okay so um her name's irie how'd you guys come up with that name
2: um it's actually uh amy's grandmother's name is Irene. Um, and we wanted to, her grandmother passed away um, a few years ago. We kind of just wanted to keep her memory and the name alive, keep it in the family. Um, but Irene is kind of an old lady name. Um, <laughs> well,
1: there, are, Don't get me wrong. There are lots of young, beautiful people named Irene. Right. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, we just we were gonna give it to her as a middle name, and then one day we thought of the name the nickname Irie. I don't remember how. Yeah. And as soon as we said like Irie is a cute nickname for Irene, we were like, that's it, it's happening. And my grandmother passed away from Alzheimer's, and I lived with my parents. I moved back in with my parents to help care for her in um, the last years of her life. So she she's just incredibly special to me, a beautiful person. So to be able to memorialize her in this way is just magic. So yeah,
0: Ivy girl. Uh, What a legacy Mm -hmm. name. I love it. Okay, well, I am really excited to hear your whole birth story. But before we get into that, I mean, there's a long journey to getting pregnant when you are in love with someone and married to someone who has the same sex assigned to you, right? And it's Mm -hmm. not as easy as egg and sperm, which isn't always an easy journey, but you know. So I want to hear about how you guys got together and your love story. And then I want to dig really deep for the audience to hear, like I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about a fertility journey because there's so many different routes and what you chose was right for you. So How in the world did you meet? How did you fall in love? This is my favorite. I could just have a, this should be the love story podcast. You
1: need another podcast, maybe? I don't think you have enough going on. Um, so we actually, um, have known each other for probably, I don't know, going on 20 years now or a little less, but, um, we met through mutual friends. Um, so actually our partners at, at the time met. And then so like we all met together and we each had partners at the time and they knew each other. Then we all hung out And funny enough, we broke up with those partners and both of us happened to stay best friends with those two people. So those two people are still in our lives now, 20 years later, they're like our best friends in the world. And so through the years at this person's events and parties, I would see stuff and we would just be like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Like super casual, just kind of stop and chats. And that was it. And then back in 2016, that friend invited me and my partner to a 4th of July, um, gathering at the lake and also invited Steph and her partner. We just sat down and started having a conversation and it it just hit different. It hit different. And I, I should say that, like, so the whole time prior to that Steph mentioned earlier that she's a musician and she plays in like metal bands and stuff. And I'm like the least, like the farthest thing from a metal person that you could ever imagine. Like, so I just, I think I just didn't see really us as having things in common. So I never just paid much attention. And then we just sat down that day and started talking and we were talking, I didn't even know she did anything outside of music. And, and lo and behold, she's just like this brilliant, person with this really interesting career and she's super passionate and like the, I was just totally captivated by her. And, um, when I left that day, I actually said to my partner in the car, like, wow, I never realized that stuff's kind of hot. <laughs> and then I couldn't get out of her out of my head after but you that. Were and then, in a
0: relationship.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. And both of us were pretty unhappy and we were just kind of like doing that thing where you're really trying to make it work with someone, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the mutual friend in the middle kind of picked up on the fact that we were like digging on each other. And then she just started, and was also simultaneously also the ear for both of us who was oh we're always venting our relationship problems. So eventually she was like, you guys are so dumb. Like why don't you just get out of these relationships and be together? And mind you, she and I are not talking at all. This is like <laughs> just behind the scenes. We're both kind of like, Oh, you know, anyway, so it took about six months and our relationships ended and we did not talk to each other prior to re- ending our relationship. So we were good, really good about
2: that. And, um, but did you stalk each of- other
0: on social media? Yeah,
2: so bad. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> that, that was kind of like the tell, like how I knew something was going on. Like at least that there was like maybe some sort of like interest interest from, from Amy. Um, cause every time I'd post on Instagram, it would be like, doot, and her little screen name would say that she liked my photo or, or whatnot. I or hearted it. Um, and then I was like, Oh, but but we had been friends previously on Facebook and like way back in the day in MySpace. Um, so like it was like whatever but then I started noticing like more and more of that to the point where I was like every time I post Amy likes it and I started liking hers also so we just started I guess there was more like going on between our two profiles um (laughs) and then eventually I slid into her dms yeah Uh, and I had
1: broken up with my partner like the week before and so I was like this is so perfect and I was I remember that first I remember the first message and the like butterflies I had. I was so excited. But like Steph, did you know she had
0: broken up? Did you know that like, they were broken up? Like, did your relationship status change on social media?
2: No. So I it was like a, during the time where we had that moment together at the beach that day and we talked a bit um, after that, like I had been wanting to reach out when I because I had broken up with my partner. Um and then I wanted to reach out, but I couldn't tell, like, she's not very active on Facebook and all the, or social media, um, or wasn't around then. So I couldn't tell. And I had written her like the same text a bunch of times and deleted it being like, <laughs> if you're no longer with this person, would you be interested in like getting a drink together? And then I just chickened out for like I don't know, six months and <laughs> kept deleting <laughs> the text and never sent it. And then eventually, um, I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna, cause we had talked about actually doing like youtubing and setting up youtube channels and podcasts and things like that that day at the beach and i was really legitimately curious if she ever went down the road of doing that because i was wanting to do it for myself and was going to ask her some advice um so that's how i what's what i asked her about in her dm so it wasn't about dating it was about anything at all and then from there we just started chatting back <laughs> and took us
1: like three days or 24 hours or something and start flirting on there though and then yeah. we kind of then we went in <laughs> yeah um
0: i love it flirting on dms
1: yeah Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) welcome to the new world um Mm So this was over a decade that you guys knew each other before you had this moment mm-hmm. at the beach. I mean, Oh yeah. That's a, a- long time. Years, maybe something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. it's and now that we're, where we are in life, I mean, it's, it's kind of astonishing to us when we think about it to how happy we are and how beautiful our life is that it was really sitting in front of us the whole time, you know, and we're all both going through these like terrible relationships and just, you know, the grind that we all go through trying to find your love
0: and like, there she was the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. crazy. It makes me wonder right now, hmm, who am I exactly. not thinking about? Right. Like just sometimes it matters. Right me there. <laughs> right. Yeah. At your um, fingertips. So okay. So you you're doing the DM thing.
2: Did you guys take it slow or did you go real fast? Um, kind of a mix of both. So yeah. I think the one thing that was interesting. Um, at least on, on my end with Amy is that things felt very natural, like right out of the gate. Um, And I intentionally wanted to have some time to be single and have some time to like, date other people and figure myself out and because I was coming out of a relationship and she was as well. So I think we both were at, at times trying to put the brakes on here and there. Um, but then like next thing I knew we were like doing face masks together, like on a random Wednesday night. And that's like something you do well into a relationship. Or she'd be like, we well, you want to yeah.
1: come over tonight? And I wouldn't go home for like four days. And then I'd yeah. go home for two days and go back for another four. And at the, it, oh, it was a God. little bit tumultuous in that time because for it I'm much more like like um monogamous serial monogamous like real bad I don't do like dating more than one person at a time terrible at it so mm-hmm. Steph it was confusing to me because we would have this these times where it just felt like we were totally together and then she would need that like two days to go sow her oats or whatever she was doing and we went through it that summer, um, (laughs) kind of trying to give her that space and stuff. Um, but it was, so it was about a summer from like Memorial day until then about, I think it was in early October or November that we like made it Facebook official. And then I basically moved in.
2: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So when did you decide that you wanted to get married and like have a family together? Like so it's one thing to be like dating and doing face masks and whatever. It's another thing to be like, let's spend the rest of our lives together. So when did you guys start having those conversations?
2: I think for me, like I knew pretty early that Amy felt different um, from a, like any other relationship that it had had up to that point. And I was like uh, that feeling, in addition to how comfortable it was, in addition to like how beautiful she is, I was like, yo, know, I got to lock this down before she wakes up someday and looks at me and is like, who's this fool? So um, it was maybe maybe like, I don't even know, six months to eight months into the relationship where I was t- starting to have those the thoughts. official relationship. Yeah, the official relationship. Not counting like the summer. Yeah, part, okay. Um, and so for me, it was about, about that time in... I don't know. I feel like we've always been pretty open out of the gate about marriage, about children, like in having those conversations, just because we're like getting old and time is a ticking. so
1: it was this thing we had in common, I think, yeah. you know, and it, in, like I said, our mutual best friend, it was one of the things she said, like, you guys want the same things. Like, yeah. so we knew just from our, from common life goals that we as humans wanted to be married and, and be parents at some point. So, okay. I mean, like we're, you know, we're, I was 37 or eight at 37 at the time or something like that. 36, mm-hmm. late 30. So we also had that, like, you know, there's no point in waiting around. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Or not being super forthcoming with what your needs are, you know, and yeah. what your wants are. So, Who, so I'm assuming right away you're talking about parenthood and becoming parents. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the conversations I didn't have to have in my own relationship was like, who would carry this baby? Are we going to adopt, you know? So did you guys start having those conversations like right away? Like, did you both want to carry the babies or did one of you, like, how did you guys navigate those conversations to make sure that what you both wanted aligned with being together? Mm.
1: I knew, I always knew I wanted to carry, like, I, I've just always wanted to be a mom since I was born pretty typical or fairly typical, um, you know, experience. And for Stephanie, it was a little bit more it was, it's changes. It has changed a lot over the course of things. So in the beginning, we had this agreement that I would carry the first one and she would carry the second one. But as she started to explore her own gender identity, that's kind of shifted. And then even after our birth experience, you know, those feelings shift again. So uh, it's really, it's really interesting. But um, in the beginning, we kind of just, I think we just kind of started with me Mm -hmm. and then figured we'd take it one step at a time after that.
2: Yeah. And I've always like in- in a world where it's challenging to do this when you are the, you know, same assigned, uh, sex at birth, like it's, there's a lot more hurdles to go through and things to think mm-hmm. about. And, but I've always, even if I didn't want to carry and, and deliver, I've always wanted to be like, well, let's use my egg maybe we can put that in you and do something like that. Yep. Um, but then that, based off of insurance and all that stuff turned into be quite a challenge as well, which was a bummer.
1: And it is a bummer. And and we, we, you know, I'd love to talk more about that as we get into the kind of options that are out there for fertility and, you know, same-sex assigned to birth couples. It's, it's not, it's just what you want to do isn't always accessible or easy to do, you know? So Mm -hmm. we're still, we still grapple with it a little bit because you know, there may be a kid number two coming in. You yeah, know, you
0: want to. Well, let's you know. fast forward right into that conversation. Okay, we were talking about how you fell in love, you guys got engaged, you got married. I mean, not mm-hmm. that, that you have to get engaged and get married to have babies, but like that's how you guys did things. And then, like, you're having this conversation and you've decided, like, AK is gonna carry first. If you have future children, that could look creative director over there. Steph, that could look very (laughs) creative with the different things that you do. So what was step one? Like what was like, okay, we're ready to have a baby. What do you do?
1: Yeah. I think I think what we did and what I recommend to everybody for step one, because I'm in about 8 billion TTC groups and LGBT TTC groups and all kinds of stuff, is like, first of all, go to the doctor. Just go to your regular, whether that's your primary care or your OBGYN um, or your local fertility clinic. If you want to start there, you can. Um, and just have them run your, your full labs. That's what I did, especially because I was um, advanced maternal age already at that point. Um, and I had also pr- tried to get pregnant previously in a relationship in my early thirties and, and had run into some issues. So I was already aware of some issues that I had um, low ovarian reserve. So I knew being like six or seven years later, I was going to be up. It was going to be an uphill battle. So that's what we did. We started out with a visit to, I think, It was in Boston. Yeah. Uh, It was before we got married. And also side note, it was like a few months before our wedding and we kind of jumped right on it. Once we knew we were going to be together forever, we were like, well, let's just start figuring out what we need to do. So mm -hmm. we started at that, at that, um, doctor and Mm -hmm. just kind of talked through the plan. So they'll just sit, they just sit and tell you kind of basically all the approaches that you can take, um, in terms of conception. And then of course there's a whole bunch of other things in, in the way of like, how do we get Sperm and things. Okay.
0: Did they run labs for you, Steph? Um, I can't. I think we chose
2: not to at that time. Yeah. Um, and we went to a doctor that was recommended from our our friend, our mutual friend that actually one that we met through uh, my old partner, who's like my bestie now. Um, she also married us, and then Mm -hmm. also her and. Her wife um, have children and we went to uh, one of their doctors and recommended like, you know, LGBTQ plus um, friendly doctor. So that was like a nice place to go and have a very open and like nice conversation about both the whole process because i didn't know much about it at all she was way more familiar with the whole thing than me
1: i'm like certified at this
2: point (laughs) so she's like the google queen um where i didn't have very much information or understanding of the process and all the ins and outs of that so in like also thinking about it from a timeline point of view so that doctor was very helpful in bringing both of us through it and talking about it and then they brought us both aside individually if i remember correctly at some point to talk about it like how we would feel about parenting in, in our relationship. Do you remember that? Vaguely, Um, I vaguely remember that we met with like a, um,
1: the social worker. So this is the first step where I was a little bit irritated because it's different than a heteronormative experience. And so like, once you have that whole consultation before you decide what route you want to go, you have to meet with a social worker and the social worker has to talk to you just about, I mean, the social worker ended up, the the topics were pretty, average, just like you're getting ready to be a parent. Do you understand like that? You're going to have a, you know, sperm donor and all this, but like the point being was that heterosexual couples didn't have to do it. Like if a man and a woman had gone into that office, cause they couldn't get pregnant, they were not going to have to meet with a social worker to move forward in the process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they do that still, but I've heard from a lot of people that it's pretty infuriating.
0: Oh, like that's ridiculous. It makes <laughs> yeah. me I just can't even, I'd like, if you, hopefully everybody listened to part one and part two, right? Cause we, this is an ongoing theme now, like, right yes. and now, no matter yeah. what state you're in, like people are so fucked up with the patriarchy that they're like, there's only heteronormative. Now, one yeah. of the questions I have is what if Steph was a trans man and they like, yeah. you know, it's not obvious, right? A lot of trans men, it's not, they're not obviously trans men. Do you think that yeah. they would have... Like you could have just said, like, "Hey, I, I'm one of for my the other couple said azospermatic, You know, yeah. We've, we identified previously. I'm azoospermatic. Like, do you think they would make that couple go through it? No, I don't okay. think.
1: I think if you didn't identify, I think I totally think that if you would have identified her as trans, then you might have had to go through it. But if you were, if you were to go in there passing and just Mm -hmm. like you said, just I have issues with sperm and absolutely do not believe that we would have had to do it
0: this is crazy to me. Okay. And then this
1: is is like, as far, you know, this
2: is pretty left. Like this This isn't like Arkansas. And it was like a weird conversation too. like (laughs) trying to project, like, how would you, or, or like have them take me in a room, ask me these questions, personal questions about myself. And then like, how are you going to feel about this in the future? And I'm like, well, I hope like, yeah, I, we've talked about it and I hope a certain outcome, but like, I don't know, exact, I don't know them. myself 30 years from now. And, and they also are asking about my mental health yeah. and these sorts of things to see if I was like mentally stable enough. to be in a a lesbian relationship and blah, blah, blah and have a child. They make it like very
1: clear that it's not any kind of like, it's not a pass fail thing. It's not an evaluation, but it feels like that's the kind of questions they're asking. Like, do Do they
0: acknowledge, do they acknowledge to you or do you acknowledge them? Cause I would just sit in the room and be like, number one, this is super fucked up that like my (laughs) sister and her husband didn't have to do this with you. Right? Like, and that we do. Like, I would be like, can we all just acknowledge that up front? Can I record this conversation? Like, did you guys do anything like that? Or were you, like, very compliant?
2: I was compliant because I was really nervous about the whole situation Um, in also getting into talks about my mental health. And that's a very like personal thing for me. And like, I'm open about it. Like, yes, I I do have like depression. I do have anxiety. It's all in paperwork and all that sort of thing. But they, I felt like they were going to then use that against me. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty on top of all of those things as an individual so like if i do say yes like does this now is it going to like dq me from the whole thing and then i'd feel like i wasn't like like i'd be falling short on my half as a partner or something so it was a bit i don't know
1: and it was hard like i the i want i will say like the lady was super nice and everything she wasn't interrogate you know interrogative (laughs) if that's a word but like so she wasn't you know what i mean it didn't feel confrontational so we didn't bring confrontation to it but you just definitely know that it happens and it's not right and like i hope that people are exploring why that's happening and hopefully trying to get rid of that process um i do think like listen some sort of counseling around donor conception becoming donor conceived parents and what the experience of donor conceived children truly is is super important but, like, that's not the same thing, <laughs> like,
0: you know. Right. What about single persons, single birthing persons? Like, do you think they have yeah, to do I the same counseling? I don't know. I, don't really, know.
1: I, do, I, don't, I really don't know. I don't um, know. We just know I
0: heteronormative don't, couples don't have yeah. to do this. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is really important. So if you were a male, female s- assigned sex couple going into this exact same clinic, and the, let's just say the female needed to get an egg donor or the male needed to have uh, donated sperm, they would not have to go through this process at all.
1: I know, to my knowledge, no. And to, interestingly enough, though, I will say, so this was a major hospital system in Boston. Here in North Carolina, when, and we just like didn't continue treatment with them, we just kind of stopped and yeah. went on with life. We decided we weren't going to start right at that point. So when we came to North Carolina and started to do it again, we did not have to do that it's through a clinic. So I don't know if that has to do with <laughs> North Carolina
0: does it on the yeah. back end. Spoiler alert. We'll get okay, to that. Okay, there you go. Okay? <laughs> oh. okay. From my understanding in my interviews. But anyway. We we'll, second
1: parent
0: adoption. Yeah, second parent yeah. adoption. So we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. okay. So at that point, you you you've made some decisions and you go through this counseling or whatever and then then you end up moving to North Carolina. Yeah, okay. we just
1: decide, like, we're not quite ready to, jump, to get things going yet and then we just went on with life.
2: Mm-hmm. Then we
1: moved to North Carolina about a year and a half later.
2: Okay. No, 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 no.
1: That's yeah. not what
2: happened. So we... <laughs> get the timeline right honey um no so we we ended we it was prior to us being Mm -hmm. married and i i was feeling like let's just get married first like one thing at a time amy has a tendency to like want to like boil the ocean and i'm a very like (laughs) step-by-step type of person so i had a little freak out um and was like let's just like let's just get married first and and then you got a really great job op- opportunity like three months later. And then we were off in North Carolina. So kind of. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. OK,
1: so that you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: So then we just had like moved down here. And once we got settled down here, then we started looking at different clinics and things. and yeah. researching. Mm-hmm. OK, so
0: where does that begin then? A fertility clinic or do you establish with an obstetrician, gynecologist, midwife?
1: Nope. I still don't have an OBGYN in
0: Charlotte. Okay. We went right to the fertility clinic. Right to the Um, fertility clinic. Okay. And so at this point, have you guys, well, actually, I mean, I know the answers to all these questions, but I want to ask this so that you can tell the audience listening. What types of options do you have as far as like egg, sperm, carrier, like fertility? Like, can you just outline like, what are the different choices? Yeah. So,
1: um, you can, first of all, you can start with the person. You can use the person who's carrying, you can use their egg. You can, if you, um, and if you do that, then you can start with IUI, intrauterine insemination. Either way, you need sperm. You start there. If you're going to do that, you need sperm. So, sperm, you have known donors. You can find somebody that you know. If you do that, highly recommend you get a contract, but do a lot of research into that whole thing before you go that route. Um, so, then there's, donor sperm, obviously. And that is anonymous. You can have, you'll never know who that person is. They'll never know who you are. You can have open ID, which is, um, what we chose, which is, um, at 18, the donor has agreed to one minimum one communication with the offspring. And then you can have completely open, which is just from the beginning, you know, who they are and they knew who you are. Um, So those are the sperm options. And then if you want to go to IVF, then you have the choice of using either partner's egg. And of course, you still need to make the choice about donor sperm.
0: Okay, Is transvaginal insemination something that they offer at the fertility clinics or is that just straight jumping straight to IUI?
1: The closest thing to that would be ICI, as far as I know, intracervical insemination. And I know it is a thing, but I have never had a a fertility professional recommend it. They're usually starting U
0: okay. I Okay. Yeah, the couple that I interviewed. Yeah. I was going to say the couple that I interviewed that did it, they just did it at home. themselves literally yeah, was like a turkey Yeah. Basher. I'm skipping
1: that part. So for sure that totally works for some people. My sister is um, in a same sex relationship and they had their, ba- they conceived at home with a known donor who's still in the kid's life. So there's lots of pictures of family creation for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you're in sitting in this fertility clinic, both of you guys, and you're having this conversation about Okay. We've decided that we've done all the blood work and we've decided that Amy Kate is going to carry and had, and we decided we're going to use Amy Kate's egg for sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even though we had low ovarian reserve.
1: Yeah there's and that's a frustrating part of the process for um us as well. So um we would have loved to do reciprocal IVF meaning I carry Steph's egg, but in order to do that Steph would have to go through the process of having her eggs retrieved and the way that the health care system is set up, the insurance care system is set up is that they will cover IVF um but you have to prove infertility um by trying to, by trying to get pregnant. So Steph can't just say, well, I don't want to carry. I just want to have them, you know, retrieve my eggs. She would have to go through a certain number of IUIs before they will cover IVF. And so she doesn't want to carry and doesn't want to risk getting pregnant. So if we wanted to do reciprocal, we would have to pay out of pocket to have her her to go through all those medications and have her eggs retrieved. So okay. we chose what we did really by, because we had to, we okay. not yeah. afford- You are decision.
0: super ethical people, y'all, because I'm one combative. So I would have yelled at that social worker and two s- sneaky. So I would have mm-hmm. had found a doctor that would have been like, um, you know what, Amy Kate, we've been trying to conceive for 18 years and it just hasn't yeah. happened. We don't know why. Like yeah. I would have just totally like had, had a doctor right on paperwork that I have been trying to have sex or trying, trying to have sex, trying to conceive with my partner and just, I'm not pregnant and they don't fucking no, need to know why to get, do they know I mean, the, the sex of your client? Of your, of your, listen, of your client. Do they know the sex of your partner? They, is that? No, fuck. No. Yes, Or do you have well, to, do you have yeah. to, I would have yeah, lied. I would have been like partner male. We've been trying a long time. Yeah, insurance. so you could Thank probably, you.
1: I do feel I've believe me, I've given plenty of thought to that. And I think like the way of out because outside of that, you're asking a doctor to commit insurance brand. So if you can find someone to do it, I, I would love it. But um, it's tough <laughs> to ask. So you would have to the only thing about that is that you'd have to go through so much of that process without ever having your partner present. Because you could just go to the doctor and be like, My oh. husband and I have been having sex for this long and I'm not getting pregnant. And sure, he's gonna give you an infertility diagnosis, but that means you're fake husband can't show up to like appointments and be with you as your partner. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that happens, then they're like, game is up. Like your guys are females. And that's the the whole point
0: of this visibility series, right? Is like trying to not have to hide behind paperwork and hide behind insurance companies and all those things. Like, it's like, I would have fucking lied to save money. Right. Because that's what I do. But you know, hopefully the more stories like this that we share and talk and people get angry and listen, and hopefully all of my listeners are listening and thinking that is not, it's not fair. So if you know someone, like if you're listening and you know, someone like in government, write them a letter, yeah. you know, He's I do know. Major
1: reform around, around queer family, you know, planning and in insurance needs to be equitable. And it is like we have infertility because, as you said, we're azospermatic. So that, and just as a hetero couple may come in and be azospermatic for some reason, like, listen, we should have the same options. You, They don't go through IUIs. They don't have to go through six IUIs to prove infertility paid out of pocket, by the way, you, ha- you know what I mean? Like they yeah. just show up and they're like, well, he doesn't have any sperm. And they're like, well, let's get you into some IVF with some donor sperm then, or whatever, you know, like, so mm. it's just, they cover it basically from the beginning. Whereas we have to jump through hoops and pay to prove that we're infertile, which we're clearly have fertility (laughs)
2: obstacles,
1: (laughs) you know, I mean, and and to be fair, like my, the, some of the practitioners I've worked with have expressed that they think it's ridiculous too, you know? So it's, it's a known thing, but it's big business we're fighting. So. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what, all we can do is just keep making some noise. Right. Yeah. And then just hope that it it makes change. And in the meantime, we're creating a roadmap to help other people. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there and you guys at some point make a decision what to do and and you said largely based on insurance also so and you kind of I know you you told me already about the donor and all that kind of stuff but can you just walk through exactly what you chose what that looked like and when you got started
2: um I feel like you started looking before me at various websites and things online. Yeah. I kind of
1: picked our bank and everything like that. Yeah. And then we just talked through as a couple, what was most important to us. So that's going to be different for everybody. Some people, the education level or um, area of expertise for the donor is going to be the thing for some people, ethnicity is going to be everything, you know um, for us, I think that there was tears and like the most important thing was that they had physically the same characteristics as Steph. Cause we wanted the baby to look like both of us as much as possible. So we were just trying to find Steph's like little clone in the, world of donor sperm. Mm. And then we, then we went from there. Like if he could also be, you know, musical or creative, like that would be great. And if we could match up ethnicities and Steph's background, that would be super cool too. You know? So that's how we approached it. And then it's, if you've never shopped for sperm, it's just like 100% like online dating, except there's not a back and forth communication, but the profile, uh, makeup is exactly the same. So you're just scrolling through profiles of guys. Some have baby pictures, some have adults, pictures if you want to pay more money, which we did. And so then you're just kind of going through weeding out, you know, certain mm-hmm. ones and until you find the one that you want to. Pick.
0: Roughly how much does that cost to, to shop for sperm online dating? Like you said, It
1: goes up every year when we did it, it was a thousand dollars per vial. Yeah. So if you're doing IUI, that's one vial per treatment. If you're doing IVF um, you can get a lot, you can use one vial for like many Okay. Many rounds. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and they have, um, the different um, providers have, they run online specials. And we were trying to like, when they would have like a promo code, basically <laughs> try to get in there and like buy up the sperm. Yeah. But a lot of people are doing the exact same thing because it's so expensive. And you have to like, they have like a little ticker that ticks down in like the right-hand corner of the, um, the person's profile of like how much they have left. Mm-hmm. And like everyone... <laughs> like swoops in on people especially what i had noticed um swoops in on the people that have the adult photos Mm -hmm. um which are not as many so I, i feel like the ratio is like for every person with adult photos there was like i don't know like 30 other people that just had baby photos. So, when we were just looking particularly at those folks with the adult photos, like it it would go really quick. There were people that we wanted and then they would be like gone by the time we we got to them for the amount of vials that we needed at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, had you guys decided
0: like we're going to do 4 vials or something like that in case it takes three or four attempts or so th- or if we want to have multiple I mean, I'm starting to Mm -hmm. think like, well, what if you wanted to have four kids? Do you just buy up all the sperm so they have the same, all your kids have the same donor? like that's people do. And then
1: like for us now, we have frozen embryos. So once you get to IVF, you're in a little bit of better position um, to not have to purchase
0: sperm in the future. I would be like, can't you just reach out to him and see if he'll just give another donation?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's a thing. I've heard that you can call the bank and they will on your behalf, like reach out to the person and explain it. But they, sometimes the donors have said like, we're, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this part of my life, you know? So they don't, unfortunately. What's the average age
0: range for the donors? You think?
1: College. Okay, Most of them are college age. That's where they recruit. Like that's where the um, clinics recruit from. So most of these guys are really young and they're doing it for extra money. And that's another whole controversy around donor gamete donation. They call it, you know, that it's not a donation. First of all, these guys, people are selling their gametes. They're not donating them. That's like a fruity way to, to frame it up. And, um, a lot of times people are doing this in different stages of maturity where they're not quite grasping the implications down the road, um, you know, Of the kit, right?
0: Especially when there's like 23 and me, you know what I'm saying? Like the joke is the anonymity. Ha ha ha. You guys decided, did you decide to try IUI or was there a reason to jump straight to IVF?
1: We have to. That's the part that's not there. You have to try. You had to try UI. So you had to buy. In order for insurance to cover IVF, you have to go through IUI and you have to pay for that out of pocket. Um, so in, a lot of insurance companies, if you're over 35, it's three IUIs. And if it's, if you're under 35, it's six. Okay. Um, and I'm not like the expert by all means. I may be saying some things that are slightly off here and there, but, um, overall that was our, the experience. And by the way, like before you even get into the things you're going to encounter in the fertility industry, like you don't even have access to that. Like to, to talk about accessibility and privilege, like 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 same sex couples if you don't have a whole bunch of money saved or a job with really good insurance cuz a, a bunch of insurance companies don't cover infertility at all but if you're lucky enough to have insurance that covers it you're still looking at several tens of thousands of dollars out of pocket to get there so if you don't have that your options are very limited to like known donors and at home insemination and for some people that's not what they want to do you know so the
0: biggest hurdle from the gate is financial, for sure. Oh, as you're talking, it's just like my heart just starts going huh ah. So my my little baby sister, oh, she's not a baby anymore, but and she's gay and this is her journey and she wants to carry. And part of doing this series was in honor of her and for her because she wants to be a mom so bad. And I'm like every question I ask, it's like I'm asking for. For her, Like, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? You know what I mean? Like, what does this look like? You know, she's got some years ahead of her and she's not in love with anyone yet, but she knows no matter what she wants to go down this journey of caring, whether she meets someone or not. And so I always just this, all these questions I feel like in this, these episodes are like for her, you know? So did you do this three times? Amy Kate, three IUIs.
1: Well, I got, I got, we got a little bit of a pass because as I mentioned, like in a previous marriage, many, many moons ago, okay. I did start the process and I had one unsuccessful IUI. So that okay. luckily for me, they counted it. They were like, that counts no matter how long ago it was. So we had to do two together
0: okay, to perfect.
1: get access to IVF.
0: What role, Steph, do you play in Amy Kate's IUI? <laughs> because you're both going in to get pregnant, essentially, like this is both of your, do- this is your, you know, it's ultimately Irie and your daughter, but like, like I'm trying to like put myself in your situation, Steph, like, like it
2: seems like it's so Amy Kate focused. Oh yeah. um, I think, um, and we went, we went to two different clinics over the course of our journey um, and Really and it and it felt different at, at both clinics. Um mm-hmm. the first clinic that we went to, there was this amazing woman that worked there who I don't know, she just had that very like approachable, loving vibe that and I think she was like cognizant of always trying to include me in the conversation, which was nice, even just like welcoming me into the clinic in the morning sort of thing. Cause you end up going there quite often. Mm-hmm. Um and to do all the blood work and stuff but I think my main role in the whole thing is I was just really her, her support person emotional support person I would sit there to also listen to the doctor and ask questions but mainly kind of just sit there and and try to be supportive of her and what she was going through because it was her body and her blood they were taking and doing things and all that sort of stuff um but for me like I think when we when we ended up things weren't successful um, with that clinic. We ended up moving to another one, um, and there definitely felt more like Amy focused, and I was just in the background. Even when it came to like paying the bill, which a lot of it like I don't know we both paid for, but it definitely seemed like they were more Amy focused, or they would always call her like the mother, and that really annoyed me. They'd be like they would ask questions, and they were always asking. It to her, or even at the doctor, now that happens, frankly, sometimes, and it's a little irritating because I'm like, I'm also the mother, and I'm also being woken up in the middle of the night, and I'm also <laughs> getting thrown up on and changing dirty diapers and yeah. all of that. So, so it definitely is like frustrating sometimes. What's um, your parenting name on
0: that note? What are you guys, what do you, what are your parenting names on that note? Like, do you both go I'm, by mother?
2: Um, I'm mama. Uh-huh.
1: um and I go by all of them I I mama a lot and M- mommy and I, I mean I actually use all the names for both of us all the okay. time but like we're like mama and mama the most I think yeah. okay
0: I think Irie will probably <laughs> answer that question later about what she well, calls each of you it. guys yeah yeah yeah. They
1: pick, they tend from other couples that we know who have kids, that tends to be how it is. Like you think you know what you want to be called, but unless it's something like really different, if it's in the mom category, they're going to pick on their own basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Does it yeah. did it make you feel jealous stuff?
2: Um not jealous per se, just more left out because I feel like if okay. it was if it was like a heteronormative relationship, like it wouldn't be that way.
0: Yeah. Um
2: at least that's my assumption. So I just felt more left out of the the whole thing. Um, but I just tried to be like I'm I think by nature a very supportive, empathetic person.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I was just trying to lean into that and be there for her as much as possible. Now um, during the process.
0: You had mentioned, I kinda asked that question too, because you had mentioned you guys at the beginning that like your what you thought you wanted to do for baby two or you know if there is a baby two may be different than on number one or whatever. So I didn't know if like watching Amy Kate go through all of these things, was there any point where you were like, I wish I could just switch places with her or take that on? Or were you like, no, we're in the roles that are feeling good for both of us.
2: Yeah. I mean there was definitely times where I felt Terrible that she was having to get these awful shots every day but i definitely was like i don't want to do that
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I think that any thoughts that steph had about becoming pregnant and then being pregnant like anything she she dabbled with was gone when she watched me Mm. go through getting pregnant and being (laughs) pregnant
2: yeah (laughs) i feel like yeah the shots thing not fun um and then when you swelled up to like double the size of whatever i was like that's really not fun um But I think for for me, um, I've always kind of been of the feeling just because of my own like gender dysphoria that I or or my just nature of who I've been my whole life. I've never really identified with wanting to like have a baby inside me and be pregnant and be like waddling around and (laughs) all swollen and all the things (laughs) that you were. Um, So but wanted to be a mom
0: but wanted to be, but wanted to be a mom, yeah. be a
2: mom for sure. Yeah. And then once I had, Irene, that kind of switched a little bit. Cause we had troubles with breastfeeding and I ended up breastfeeding her in the hospital. And that like freaked my brain out, like flipping, like I was like, wow, this is actually amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was such a feminine thing to do that. That has almost like sent my brain for a little bit of a loop with the whole like Dysphoria and feeling transgendered and all that, uh, which I still definitely do. Um, but I was definitely, it definitely like put me back for a moment being like, do I want to carry? Like, yeah. do I want to? Like, you know what I mean? Just maybe take like a little bit more of a pause. That was definitely never there before. And then Um,
0: since you just said all that, I just want the audience to know we talked in advance and like Steph, you're still identifying with pronouns she, her, which is kind of, you know, I want to make sure if we're, since we're talking about gender dysphoria and transgender thoughts and feelings and stuff that the audience is acknowledging that we're using the terms in which feel appropriate for you, at least today when we're doing this yeah. recording, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can I can understand what you're saying about feeling left out. And I um I will say I've never been the um, I've only been the pregnant person, but I mean mm just in all fairness i they do completely mostly disregard the other person in the room too like it's all mm. about the pregnant person and totally. so um i don't know how i don't know if like a bunch of like dude dad men would say that they felt any different about than the way that you tre- you were treated but that's the difference you're not the dad dude partner mm-hmm. you know you're a mom so anyway and there's you know different things that go along with that I just want to make sure we're saying it out loud how you're feeling through that process so two more failed IUIs those have to be devastating like I'm assuming you guys were really hoping you were going to get pregnant with IUI yeah
1: I mean we didn't want to go through IVF seemed at the time like a really daunting undertaking and of course we're just hoping to get it done kind of As quickly and easily as possible. And it was technically three IUIs because we did one, one month. And then the next month we did two, we did two back to back, like a a day apart, trying Mm -hmm. to just increase those chances. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but alas, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they didn't work onto IVF.
0: And now time's ticking more, right? Like I'm just kind of doing math over here. Like you were kind of like saying you were thinking about this at 37 and now, and then you put on pause and you moved to North Carolina and we've had failed IUIs. So how old are you when you become pregnant?
1: The first time I became pregnant, I was 38. 38, And that was our first IVF transfer, which um, we lost that. Baby or very early on. And so when I conceived the second baby, I was
0: 39.
1: Okay. That would be Irie. Yeah. And gave birth days before my 40th birthday. (laughs) How
0: many days before? Three days. Three days. Okay. Just got that cut off for that. Because there's a whole, when we get to the birth in just a minute, there's a whole nother set of things that come into play for being over 40. How much time was there between IUI? And doing your first IVF transfer.
2: You mm-hmm. had to get like all readied up on the drugs. Yeah, I
1: would say between the, for the, from the IUI transfer, maybe 90 days or so, but we started, we had to do a retrieval first. So we went right into that preparation for the retrieval. We probably okay. had the retrieval within 60 days. And then, you know, you wait the next cycle to do the transfer. Okay. so
0: So with the retrieval, from what I understand, that's under general anesthesia. Yeah, Is Steph allowed to be with you? Yes. Well, not in the retrieval room.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like a operating room sort of thing. Um, but I was with her before and after.
1: Yeah. Which was really great. And, and our clinic was amazing about that. Like, I mean, they, in in terms of that, I feel like we were treated super fairly and and kindly and recognized Mm -hmm. as, you know, equally and so they went they always referred to staff as my wife and they went and got her every you know yeah. exactly when they should and made sure she was right by my side when I came out and all the way up until I had to go in and everything. And and she got to stand at the um it's like the the pre-nursery where you get to stand in the window and like watch the eggs being retrieved and counted. So. yeah and
2: they like high five you like every time there's like a little ticker <laughs> on the like the wall and the person comes in with like the little tube they dump it in, they'd look back and they'd be like, Yeah, high five. <laughs> you know, got up to 12 or 13 or whatever yeah. it was. So it was we were both you know, they, they engaged me in the process, which was very
0: nice. Okay. That is awesome. I was like, I'm like imagining like this egg retrieval thing being fun, you know, yeah. even though Amy Kate, you're sound asleep with anesthesia, whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. very cool. So it how is, many eggs did you get? I think
2: 12,
0: right? Twelve. That's yeah. a,
2: that's a lot yeah. for was, low yeah. ovarian
0: yeah, we, reserve. I mean, that's 12, 12 is a lot.
1: Yeah. And we ended up, um, so then of course the retrieval is you know, like your biggest number and you're excited. And then they call you every day with how your eggs are maturing and you lose some inevitably. So I think we ended up with, did we have a three um,
2: that went to a five day blast? Yeah. Um, I
1: think the first one was three or three. Cause we had yeah, two that were normal.
2: Yep. Right. So mm-hmm. you go
1: to three that made it to blast. And then we chose to do PGS or PGTA what um, a couple different terms, but the te- chromosomal testing on them and okay. two of them were good. And one was abnormal. So actually after that whole
0: process and 12 eggs, we ended up with two, uh, viable embryos. Wow. And with the genetic testing, did you find out the assigned sex of the embryos?
2: Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. It was, I didn't was know. a top secret. That I kept from Amy. She dropped off the phone, and the nurse on the phone told me, "Okay, because um, some people choose
0: which one to transfer. Like, say you're two. One was us assigned male." I always I'm like it's not a signed sex at birth. It would be assigned sex at conception, I guess. Yeah, or exactly. Or assigned sex in right. yeah. embryo. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly I think an embryo. But if one was male and one was female, I've had some fertility clients I've worked with where they got to choose. So mm-hmm. did one of you choose what which one to implant?
2: Um so we they were both. Um female yeah and from that we picked by quality <laughs> yeah after that. so yeah we picked yeah. by quality. yeah so then they're the graded best. by quality yeah. and so
1: then we just picked we
2: just threw in the best one mm-hmm. did you
0: first. ever think about it doing implanting both and doing twins
2: i did <laughs> She did. And for me, that was like a, um, a hard, no, like okay. more than a hard, no, like a definitely <laughs> absolutely fucking not. No, okay. um, <laughs> like again, with Amy wanting to do all the things at once, I like went back like to with uh, us getting married and like the whole thing, I was like, can we just please do this a little bit more step-by-step step and just start with one, see how it feels. And then, yeah. but
1: also she had our doctor on her side because if, if you do not do, chromosomal testing or genetic testing, they will put two, they will implant two because the likelihood of one failing is higher. Okay. Um, but if they are both tested normal, at least at our clinic, their policy is not to do two. They won't yeah. do it. Like okay. you really, and age comes in, like you can beg them if you're old enough, they might. Cause you, again, you have a higher fail rate, but, um, the policy at the time was like, not they wouldn't do it anyway so it was, yeah. I, it was a losing battle it's <laughs> not like
0: back in like the early 90s where the cover of the magazine was like she had eight babies wow.
2: right. you know okay. yeah
0: exactly okay well I promised everyone a birth story so yes. I want to kind of I want to jump ahead to your birth story but I don't want to skip ahead without honoring first like I don't want to just brush over your loss Mm-hmm. So you had two viable embryos. Yes. You mm-hmm. implanted. So, uh,
1: yeah, our first sex our first um transfer was successful and you know, we got like a positive pregnancy test. We were so excited. So there was like a good 3 weeks there that we were really thrilled and then when we went in for our first ultrasound there was an empty gestational sac. So it was a
2: blighted ovum. Okay.
1: So that was really tough.
2: Yeah, that was a big, like, punch to the gut Mm -hmm. emotionally for both of us, Um, and you still did not know what the, you know, assigned sex sex was, like, at conception or whatever. And so I told her after that.
1: Yeah. That's when I I wanted wanted to know. It was just part of my like grief process. I just wanted to know. Yeah. So then subsequently I knew what the next one would be because I I knew they they were the the same, same. but yeah. Yeah. So then we just kind of, we didn't take very long. I did want to keep moving forward um, just because of age and everything. And so we just grieved real hard and kept going.
0: Mm -hmm. And then we got Irie. (laughs) Yep. So Irie was the last embryo From this Mm -hmm. sperm, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have more vials of sperm from the same donor?
1: they saved half of our original vial. So they didn't need it all to get those. And so, um, because they're only using, once you get your eggs, they're just putting one sperm in at a time. So they, they know they don't need it all. So they saved it. And so while I was actually healing, I had to have a DNC for my first loss. So while I was healing for one cycle, um, they actually, well, I don't know how it worked. It's something like that, but I did a retrieval in the middle, in the middle, before I transferred again, we did another retrieval just in case. So, surprise. We have four more embryos right now.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is so amazing. Okay. Well, let's skip ahead. I mean, I just, I know I could go on and on for thousands more questions, but I think I've got a pretty good picture of your journey and I don't want to leave the audience or me without this birth story. Thank you for being part of the birth story family and listening to this episode On Tuesdays, every week, our doula diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week, along with some teaching and education. And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more, like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like. Thank you for listening to Birth Story.